Hey, what's up, everybody? My name is Joshua T. Berglund, and we are on the Live Model Worldwide Multimedia Broadcast Network. Uh, you can find us by downloading our app on Roku and Amazon Fire, or you can also go to your smart TVs and download the E360 app, and you'll find our network there. So, so appreciative of all of you that have come over to watch these broadcasts, considering we're kicked off of <laughs> Facebook and you know, and su suppressed everywhere else. But none of that even really matters right now. Um, a little bit more informal than normal. Typically, I'm wearing a suit because I love our sponsor, State and Liberty. But today, I didn't feel like wearing one. And why? Well, we're going to actually be broadcasting live from prison today. Not a normal prison, a hidden prison. Yeah, like that. It's 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 a little unusual. And I, to be honest with you, I don't even know... Um, I don't know all the details, but I'm going to read you this email and, and hopefully can make this make sense to everyone because it's pretty wild. I, 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 I had a gentleman on my broadcast uh, named Tom who was wrongly convicted of a sex crime. And I got to tell you, it's been amazing. And it's really, really hard to want to believe anybody nowadays because it seems like everybody lies. Everybody's got an agenda or again, not everybody that's generalizing, but it really does. It's hard to trust people. Would you agree? And here lately, the last few months, especially with the work that my wife and I get to do, you're seeing all these little instances and it's like, what, what is going on? What's going on? How much time do I have? Seven minutes before he's about to call. So I believe Tom. I believe Tom because the evidence supports Tom. Well, by having Tom on our broadcast, uh, now I have all of these different people reaching out. And, and, and it's, you know, they're going through the process of verifying who people are, getting to test them. And when I'm unsure, you know what I say? Well, come on my show. Because for some reason, when people come on my show, they get exposed. For good or not. I mean... I got some really interesting situations and different people that I've had on my broadcast that ended up being witches while they're prophesying over people. I've seen a little bit of everything. A little gun shy about being the exposer of things, unless if I've been through it myself. So I want to get into this by saying I have no idea what's going to come out of Daniel's mouth. That's our guest. Uh, Daniel Larson is, from what I can tell, a mighty man of God. And he's in a prison. And people know about this prison, but it's deemed, I guess, as a hidden prison. And evidently, the way that these prisoners are being treated are not good. I'm going to read, I'm going to read the email that I got. Um, and hopefully, it will give some context to what's going on here. Let's see. Okay. Thank you for responding. I watched the podcast with Tom Evanstead. This is him right here. He's calling early. <laughs> well, we're just going to get into it because I wanted to give some context, but because he's on a different time, we're going to let him talk. So here's Daniel. Wait, listen to this. This is a prepaid debit call from Daniel. A client calls are subject to monitoring and may be recorded. Your calls will now be being monitored everywhere. Thank you for using GTL. <laughs> GTL, Jim Tam Laundry. What's up, Daniel? We are actually live as we speak right now. How are you doing today, man? I'm all right. How are you, Joshua? I'm good. 
I'm good. You called a little bit early, so but that's good. I'm glad you're here. Yeah, me too. I, I appreciate the opportunity to uh, to speak with you about this. Uh, man, I'm 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 honored. And the more I the more I kind of dig into this, the more I'm just you got to be honest, man. I, I, my head's spinning. I'm going crazy because I don't like this is just so hard to wrap my head around. And this is coming from a guy that I've been in jail myself multiple times. And I thought I understood the prison system a little bit. But what I'm learning is I don't know anything. So <laughs> I just want to give you the floor. I know that we have about 15 minute increments to speak with you and you'll keep you'll call back. But the floor is yours, man. Please share your heart. And in in everything that you feel led to share. Okay, uh, I want to ask you. I was hoping to be able to ask you this off the air, but I'm going to ask now. Um, can I share our PO box? Uh, that people feel uh, they want to donate to help this cause. Can I share that? Of course you can. Okay, so uh, if if people feel you know what, if you want to write to us, or if you want to donate, or you want to ask more questions. Um, you can write to uh, Ocean at P.O. Box, and that's O-C-E-A-N, like the water, P.O. Box 582, Pelican Rapids, Minnesota, 56572. Or you can donate directly to Positive Attitude Development in care of Ocean at P.O. Box 231, Duluth, Minnesota, 55801. And Positive Attitude Development is uh, an organization, a nonprofit out of Duluth, Minnesota, and they have kind of taken taken us under their wing and just to help support us and what we're trying to do. We're technically a, a project of positive attitude development. And they got a website and stuff, so check them out. Uh, we also have a website at the voice, thevoicesofocean.net where you can see us on the Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash NMSOP. Um, people can leave me a voicemail at 218-351. I got kicked out of treatment. I was an outpatient treatment for the sex offense. 
they didn't like my attitude, so they kicked me out of treatment. They came and picked me up, and I sat 90 days in prison at Lionel Lakes. And a few days before I got out, they said, you're not going anywhere. We're trying to commit you. You've got to sit here another seven months while we go through the court process. And I didn't know much about what commitment was yet. But it was essentially, the claim is that the serving my prison time wasn't enough. So they, they claimed that I'm culpable for the crime that I committed. I knew what I was doing and that I needed to be punished for that crime. Did you? After serving my time, I agree with that. But I knew what I was doing. I knew I was committing a crime. I knew I was hurting somebody. I made a bad choice. I was not out of control. I was not um, unaware of what I was doing. I made a bad choice, and I committed a crime. And I deserved to be punished. In fact, I thought that 52 months was a very light sentence. And I was pretty shocked by it. But that was the sentence that, well, that I was given. So I served that time. And I have no
this is by definition preventive detention. I'm not here because of the crime I committed in 2009. And the court has made that very clear with me. I'm not here for that. I served my time for that. That would be double jeopardy. Their claim is that they believe I'm going to commit a crime in the future based on my attitude, based somewhat on the crime. But that's more for evidentiary purposes. It's not a requirement. It's not a requirement for commitment. That's very important for me to point out. 12% of this population has a clean record. 88% do have a criminal record, and more than likely it's going to be a sex offense. But 0% are here because of a criminal record. None. They are targeting sex offenders because they're an easy target. And it makes sense that if you're trying to control somebody and stop them from committing a sex offense, then, yes, that's the population you want to look at. But I don't want to be uh, I, I don't want to be wavering about this. It's important for people to understand you don't need a criminal conviction of any kind. I know one gentleman here has been here 45 years. He's now 61 years old, and he got committed in 19, 1979 when he was 15 years old. And they locked him up with adult men, and their claim was that he is mentally ill. What the? He has never been arrested or charged or convicted of a crime in his life. His name is Daniel Larson. Friend of mine, and he's like I said, he's been here 45 years. So I say that to say this, not to minimize the crime that we that, that I committed or that most of these men have committed. It's horrible. Committing a sex crime is the, probably the worst thing a person can do. It affects the whole community, and, and, it, and it, the ripple effect is is horrible. But you don't have to commit a sex offense to get here. I just want to make that point clear. So I don't know if I'm rambling. If you want to ask any no. questions, then. No, I'm just, I'm, I'm thinking, so can you state your name for everybody? Just so we know we're talking. Yeah, to my name, sure, my name's Daniel A. Wilson. And, uh, yeah, like I said, I, I got committed in, in April 2017. So I've been here for about five years. Okay. Yeah. So, birthday too. can you explain, like, how is it even possible, explain to us uh, newbies, I guess, how is it even possible to be locked up for something when you haven't committed a crime or charged and be locked up for over 40 years? Like, how is that even allowed? Well, uh, so there's some, they kind of branched off of some old uh, psychopathic personality laws, is what they were called, from the 1930s. And those laws were there, they were, lun another word for them is lunacy laws. Yeah. Or insanity laws. So if, you know, this was a big thing back in the 30s, and, and there's some suspicion that it, that the Great Depression was blamed on homosexual sensuality that led to this, and that it, uh, the homosexuals undermined um, the masculine men in the home, and the idea was let's get rid of all the gay people by locking them up. And it wasn't really utilized much, but there was some people who uh, would dress like women or homosexuals that got locked up purely for that reason. So these laws sort of came out of that, but in 1994, they made it much easier to get committed so that they could lock up Dennis Linehan. And in 1994, they passed the SDP Act, and SDP stands for Sexual Dangerous Person. And the bar to get committed went from kind of difficult to very, very easy. So 89% of the men and women here, and there are women here also, most are transgender females, but there's one uh, woman who was born a woman. So this is co-ed. Um, 
1994, they had that emergency session on August 31st, 1994, where they passed this bill and they passed the SDPX. The SDPX has three requirements for commitment, but they use the clear and convincing standard. So the three, and I'll get back to that in a second, the three requirements are you have to have a likelihood to commit a sexual crime in the future. You uh, have to have some kind of mental dysfunction. And it's important, remember that word, mental dysfunction. Not mental illness, a mental dysfunction. And uh, the third is that they have to show that you had a course of habitual harmful conduct, sexual conduct. Now that sounds like good criteria. Well, if you have a course of habitual sexual conduct, a person should be locked up. So what's the course? It's more than two. It's two or more. The problem is clear and convincing standard requires that all you have to do is convince one judge, there's no jury, convince one judge that this person has a course of habitual conduct. So I don't need evidence. In clear and convincing standard, you don't need a lot of, you don't really need any, any evidence. You need to convince the judge with your words. And that's what they're doing. Now, on top of that, the the harmful part, the harmful is, 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 is defined by physical and or mental, or excuse me, emotional. So it could be emotional harm that's not even provable. It could be cat calling a woman twice, and I didn't even... You have one minute remaining. I don't even have to prove that I did it. Someone just has to say it, and if they can convince the judge that it happened, it's enough. Jeez. And that's why you don't need a criminal conviction. They're going off of the mental health field, and they're absolutely abusing it. Should I call back? Yeah, of course you should. Okay. All right. I'll call right back. All right, see you. So I owe, I owe everyone an apology. I thought I was talking to Daniel Larson. Uh, I was talking to Daniel A. Wilson. And I need to know who Daniel Larson is because he is all over this. I got to tell you, um, I need to ask him what he what he's in for, if he'll share. And I don't want to throw him off, but I would like to know. This gets spooky. I, I mean, I reading some of the emails, which he's about to call back. Uh, thank you for public perception is the hardest hump to overcome. The treatment of these men is so bad that people find it all hard to believe. There are men with walkers and in wheelchairs and guys who were committed as teenagers. The longest has been housed by the state since he was 15 years old, 44 years. And has had no criminal record. I think Daniel was just talking about him. Recently, the upper staff gave my son a... Here we go. There's so much going here. Hold on. Here we go. Hello. This is a prepaid debit call. Call for subject to monitoring and may be recorded. Your call will now be connected. Daniel. Thank you for using GTL. Oh, Jim Tim Laundry. Hey, Daniel. Yeah. Really quick, do you mind sharing with the audience? There is no judgment here at all, but do you mind sharing what your actual crime was? Yeah, I was. Now, this is important for me to say. I'm not justifying anything, but I was high and drunk, and, you know, I was a mess at the time. Um, and I just make that point because it did affect my. My, uh, my judgment, but I grabbed a, a nine-year-old girl's butt um, one time, and yeah, that was, that was just my girlfriend's uh, daughter at the time. Over the clothes, um, grabbed her backside, and um, that was it. Okay. 
us. Very bad decision. And uh, I want to say a little more about that. People think that's not a big deal sometimes. I've just had that response. And it's a very big deal. I heard the impact statement from from her in court, and it affected her long-term. You know, she had a hard time trusting her, her mother's boyfriends and other men. It affected her school. It affected the way she looked at the world. I mean, it was traumatic for her. So I, by no means should anybody minimize that action. Yeah. Yeah, I... I I appreciate you sharing that, and uh, you know, I, I appreciate you sharing that very, very much. Uh, go ahead and continue, man. Yeah. So this criteria for uh, sexually dangerous person is found in Minnesota Statute 253D.02 uh, subdivision 12. And I, I say that in hopes that people will look it up because you'll see how easy it is to meet that requirement. And... Let's go to the mental dysfunction statement I made earlier. The mental dysfunction is not, it's not a real thing in psychiatry. Mental illness is, mental disorder is. Now the court has made a point in Kansas versus Hendricks to say that it doesn't really matter what we call it. I'm glad they had this, they made this point. This is a US Supreme Court case. It doesn't matter what we call it. What matters is whether or not the person has an inability to control their sexual impulses which I think is a good distinction to make. It doesn't matter what we call it. However, MSOP, where I live, um, doesn't acknowledge that at all. They don't really care. Another thing that it says in here, another clause in the statute, is that there's no need to prove that the person has an utter inability to control sexual impulses. That is completely opposite from Kansas versus Hendricks, U.S. Supreme Court case law, that says that's exactly what you have to prove. You have to show that the person has an inability to control their sexual impulses. It's the only way to get past double jeopardy. If I commit a crime, I go to prison, I do my time, I, I serve my time, I'm restored back to society. Whether people agree with that or not, it doesn't really matter. That's the, Constitutionally, that's what it's about. You, you do your time and you get done. If people don't believe that, they should give life sentences for sex offenders. But that's not the way the law works right now. Right now, that's the, that's the case. So to come back out, and the only way that they should be able to justify locking you back up is if they can show that you're still lacking volitional control over your impulses. Maybe you haven't committed a crime yet, but if they can tell by your observable action, they can see it with their eyes that you got a problem, whether it's exposing yourself or whatever it is, touching other people inappropriate, these kind of things, not quite reaching the level of a crime, but enough to say, this guy's out of control, we've got to lock him up. Totally justified, in my opinion. What they're doing is, they've lowered that bar so much, it's so subjective. And for anyone that doubts that it's that subjective, let me tell you, Minnesota has more people committed per capita than any other state for a reason. It's easier to get committed here than anywhere else. The only state that has more people committed is California, and they have about 950 people committed. We have 750, and we have about a tenth of the population in this state. It is very easy to get committed here. If you take a sample of a million Minnesotans from the population, we've got about six and a half million or so people. For every one million of those people, 131 of them are my neighbors. I live with them right here. In California, it's about 12%. So for every one million people in California, 12 of them are civilly committed. Here's 131. We're the only state with triple digits. Wow. 
And that's because anyone can get committed. Literally anybody with, with a clean record can get committed. If I lie about you and say that you cat called me twice and it emotionally harmed me, I can have you committed for life. Now, is that likely to happen? Yeah, that would be difficult, but the law is written in a way right now that it can be done. And I think it has been done. Dan Larson's a great example. He was 15 years old. He's been locked up for 45 years. He's never committed a crime. The proof is in the pudding. I mean, this is a real thing. This isn't my theories. Can you explain how they are programming you in the, or I guess it would be like reverse programming in their mindset. Um, can you, can you tell us about the programming that is done there? Yeah, they follow a program. It's not accredited by the way. They have a treatment program within the facility. They're licensed by the Minnesota department of health to provide treatment in accordance with certain laws. And they, use what's called the matrix factors as their their logic or, or their treatment program. Their, their, their theory manual is all about these matrix factors. They admitted uh, in a trial um, in the Karsten's case that this was something they totally created. It's not peer-reviewed. It's not something that's backed up by psychiatry or anything like that. It's just something they made up. And I don't even know how to explain it. It's just a bunch of, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't address a person's current, what we call a current presentation of mental state. The DSM, which is like the Bible of psychiatry, talks about the need for a current presentation. So what we mean when we say that is a, is a current, um, obvious behavior pattern of a problem. So somebody who's bipolar, for instance, if they haven't had a mood swing, in 10 years, they don't have a current presentation, they're in remission, and they probably don't need any kind of treatment. Um, but to go back to your question, I don't want to get off track here. Uh, the programming is, to be honest, I mean, I go to groups and modules still because if I don't, I'll go to prison, which is another, we can address that here in a second. But it's just a lot of complaining because everybody knows what's going on. So I've been here for five years and it really don't get anything done. Uh, guys go in there for their hour or two hours, depending on if it's a module or a group. And we, we just complain about our situation. And we talk about how we miss our families and we, we wish we could go home and uh, how difficult it is to please your therapist enough to get to the next phase. I know guys, I know one guy's been in phase one for 17 years and he's still not in phase two. There's three phases to the program. You start in phase one, get to phase three. I know nobody in phase three, and I live in a building with 450 individuals. Um, phase two is a little easier to get to, but like I said, there's no phase threes. The place has been open 27 and a half years. There's also a tier system that runs parallel to the phase system. I swear this is just to make things confusing, because there's five tiers to the tier system. They claim that it's they're not connected in any way, but they clearly are. Uh, to be honest, it's it's just a it's a sham. You know, there was a judge, R. A. Randall. He was a Minnesota Supreme or not Supreme Court um, appellate court judge, and he flatly said that the treatment is a guise uh, to justify the detention. The treatment is just there just for the state 
so that they can claim that they're giving us treatment. And they're not. It's not a real treatment. And everybody knows it, including the staff. So, Do they have any success stories? To, I mean, I don't understand how they're even getting funding at this point when it sounds like the treatment sucks, so therefore there's no real success stories to be told, or are there? They know about it. So, like I said, in 94, they started the place. By, oh, I don't know, in 2016, they let their first person out. In 2000, let me back up. In December 2011, the Carson's case was filed. K-A-R-S-J-E-N-S. It was filed by a man named Kevin Carson, who lives on my unit. I know him pretty well. And he filed this Carson's case, and ended up being 10 years of litigation. We're still sort of, we're, we just lost one phase of the, of the we, we won in 2015 and then we just lost a few weeks ago and we're gonna go back for an appeal. But in 2011, they filed the case and that's when they started to slowly let a couple guys out. And from 2011, it wasn't until 2011, uh, 2016, they let Eric Terhar out. And that was the first full release this place ever saw. So from 1994 to 2016, they had zero releases. They had about 65 or so deaths. Actually, yeah, they had about 60-something deaths in the program and no releases. That was clearly a political move to let people out, which is fine. You know what? I don't care why they're letting guys out as long as they're safe in the community and they get to go home and they don't hurt nobody. I don't really care why they're getting out. But 14 guys have gotten out since then out of 750. Oh my God. And I mean like full release. They're not connected to the program at all. However, we expect that to stop now that we lost this phase of the case. So we're kind of nervous about that. But also I want to point out that of those 14, at least half of them were juvenile offenders, meaning that they committed their crime when they were still under the age of 18. So they were all sex, you know, registered sex offenders. It was none of these 12% that, that have no convictions. They actually had convictions on their record. But they were all from when they were under 18, for the most part. I'd say about half. So we have about 60 guys in here who are juvenile offenders who have not committed a crime as an adult, and they're still stuck. Here. I, this is this is such a mind f for me because I'm, you know, as somebody that was molested um, and then turned into a chem sex addict, I. I like I, first of all, can understand the uncontrollable desire to feed whatever demon that is that's based, you know, that makes you crave the sex and you can't get enough. And then you factor in methamphetamine and cocaine with it. And then there's that animal. And, you know, like I can see how all these awful things can happen and how you even came to me was from a, uh, your mother watched a an interview I did with a guy named Tom who was wrongly convicted, but he was put in a situation that, you know, I mean, he, his situation screwy and I won't spend time with his case today, but I mean, the, the, the injustice in this to me is that is there's not a proper treatment. There's people that are being like your case. You've no business being there. You served your time already. You did what you were supposed to do. Yeah, you were wrong, but there's people that have done way freaking worse including the president of the United States, his son, which is all proven, by the way. It came out in the New York Times today 
that his the the the, the crap in his laptop is legit. So he's a pedophile. The whole world knows it. If they if they just look at what the report was about his laptop, yet he's running free. He's running free, and it's okay. And I mean, I'm not minimizing what you did because I understand that that can f people up. It it happened with my sisters. I understand. And but at the same time, you served your time already. This is insanity to me. And who God knows all the other cases that are there. You're talking about people that did things that when they were a kid, they made a mistake when they were a kid. When a kid has been molested and abused and has been drugged and everything else, guess what? They're not going to make normal decisions. This is so effed up to me. Sorry. I, this, I, I'm, I'm just at a loss because I don't know how this is right. And I know there's a lot of injustices in the world. And I know that there's people that need to be buried underneath a prison. But from this, the stories that I'm hearing and what I've been researching about, yeah, there's a lot of people that don't belong there. You have one minute remaining. You want to call back? Yeah, I think we got a little couple more seconds here. Okay, I'm done. I, I'm just, okay. yeah, I, I, I don't have anything else other than I'm just like in just disbelief about all yeah. this. You know, your reaction is refreshing. You know, we need to start finding solutions, and that's what that's what we're about. And maybe I can talk a little more about that. Yeah, I want you to talk about ocean when you come back. Yeah, let me call back. All right. Okay. Thank you for using GTL. Cheat. GTL. I want to go back to this email. Hold on. I'm so... Okay. So let's go back to this. The longest has been housed by the state since they were 15 years old. That's over 44 years and has no criminal record. Recently, the upper staff gave my son, which is this guy, a verbal cease and desist order that he can no longer protest, print, or write anything negative about the facility or their staff or he will be punished. The state has admitted that they have too many guys committed. Minnesota holds more per capita than every other state. Since my son has been there for five years, he has watched 31 men die. The treatment program is impossible to complete. The evaluators change the scores or are told how to score. They use tear gas inside the closed cell and point it through the tray hall for punishment. Suicide attempts are common, and when they try that, they could put in the hole, not counsel. I could go on it anyway. Here we go. Call for subject to monitoring and may be recorded. Your call will now be connected. Thank you for using GTL. Hello. It still makes me laugh every time I hear GTL. I, it's still funny <laughs> to me. It is. I don't know if she's into gym, can. What was the other one? Laundry. Laundry. <laughs> she says it a lot, so maybe. It has a whole new meaning now. Anyway, yeah. welcome back. Okay. Thanks. So, there's so much more to say about this, but I think I kind of gave an idea of yeah. what this is. Um, so, some of the things that we're working on. Um, let me tell you about Ocean real quick. 
And I'll tell you what that means. Ocean stands for overcoming corruption, empowering all nations. And something I've identified being locked up for almost, you know, I was in prison for four and a half years. I've been here for a little over five. It's almost a decade of, of being a prisoner and, you know, most of that time a political prisoner. In a, you know, we call this a shadow prison. That's the common term in this uh, little subculture of civil commitment abolitionists. We call it a shadow prison because it claims to be a hospital, but we all know it's a prison. So back in, you know, when I got here, I kind of tried to do the treatment. And, you know, I, I had to show, I knew it wasn't really going to work out, but I had to do it just kind of put forth the effort. And I still go because if I, I'm on conditional release with the Department of Corrections, and if I quit going to treatment, they'll send me to prison, which is kind of ironic. Um, but I don't really want my, I don't want to be moved. I don't want to go through the strip search. You know, I, I don't want the hassle of going to another prison from this prison. That's really the only reason that, you know, I'll give them a couple hours of my time. Plus, I go into these group rooms and I tell the truth. It gives me an opportunity to, to express the truth and to tell them what I really think and what I really know about this. And I'm not going to placate them and I'm not going to pacify them in hopes that I will, um, you know, charm the right therapist and maybe she'll send me to phase two. I, I really don't care. The reality is if this place followed U.S. Supreme Court statutes, they would get rid of me. I'd be entitled to release because I'm not out of control in relation to sexual matters. It's just that simple. They have a right to stop people who are out of control. The problem is they don't acknowledge that here and I'll tell you why this is where it gets a little interesting so the, the government proves in their own clear and convincing way which is a very low standard that I have a mental illness okay fair game whatever I got a mental illness you think I'm out of control I'm clearly not but I'll go I have to go I show up here and I walk into the building and I think I'm going to a hospital a psychiatrist are going to examine me on a regular basis and as soon as I'm back into behavioral control they're gonna let me go that's the idea it might be a week it might be ten years but as soon as I can control myself I'm entitled to release because I'm not doing a prison bed. I'm doing I'm in a hospital it's like having cancer and as soon as you get admitted to the hospital they evaluate you every day and as soon as you no longer have cancer whether it's chemo or a miracle it doesn't matter you gotta go you can't take up a bed you have to leave same thing here this is medical. If I'm not showing that I have an inability, an inability to control my sexual behaviors, I gotta go. But that's not how they do it. So this is how they've done this. They have what's called variances. They're licensed by the Minnesota Department of Health to practice certain type of treatment program based on Administrative Rule 9515, um, and they also have to follow a statute. 245A. Now in 245A04 subdivision 9, they have what's called variances. I'm not going to overcomplicate this, bear with me. It's simply an option for the facility to ask the Department of Health to get around certain laws for a short period of time. So let's say they're, they don't have enough psychiatrists here. They can get a variance long enough that says we need, nine, we need six to nine months to get some, some staff hired and then we'll go back to having to have psychiatrists. In the meantime, we're going to hire a bunch of social workers. That's totally legal if that change of qualification of staff is not permanent. It can't be a permanent variance. It has to be something that has a time limit. Well, they put in 
for a variance back in 2005. And this was the response to Drew Shadeen murder, which is a horrible uh, murder where uh, Alfonso Rodriguez had raped and kidnapped a woman in, and in, in North Dakota. Uh, she lived here, so it was a federal case. Uh, long story short, huge impact on the community, and rightfully so. But then they started implementing things that got a lot of people committed. And they started looking at guys that were not mentally ill, but they made a claim that they were. They got them here. They had started committing hundreds of guys. And the facility realized, the administration realized that they now had a bunch of non-mentally ill people in a hospital. And the only way to fix that was to change it from a hospital to something else. I don't know what you would call this now. It's technically no longer a hospital because they just got a bunch of people in here that they know don't have cancer, if we follow the analogy. They know they don't. They've said they don't. They've admitted it. They admitted it in these variances that are not supposed to be public, but they got leaked. And we got a hold of them. So in these variances, it says blatantly, the majority of this population is not mentally ill requiring psychiatric needs. So we no longer want to use psychiatrists to serve this population. So they replace psychiatrists with a, with what they call licensed eligible psychologists, or and it could be one or the other, mental uh, mental health professionals. So basically, it's a actually, a weekend it's a weekend certificate course. That you can go get, and then you're qualified to perform psychiatric evaluations on people where you're at. Almost, yeah, that's very close. Only that the evaluations are no longer psychiatric, so we're no longer dealing with the medical model at all. And Janine Aver, she's the the clinical supervisor of, or the clinical director of, of the Shadow Prison. She admitted in court openly because she doesn't. I don't think she understands what civil commitment is supposed to be. She just said it candidly. Well, yeah, we changed it from a medical model to a psychoeducational model, and we did it by these variances. We replaced the staff with unqualified staff. Uh, she's not qualified, but with a bunch of people that were not psychiatrists. They're not doctors. So here we are kind of languishing, um, deal, you know, dealing with this treatment program and these staff that have no idea what psychiatric services looks like, and they're not qualified for it. But that is what justifies civil commitment, and they've taken that element out of it. In place, excuse me, in, in fact, they've replaced it with psychoeducational programming, which is meant for the prison system. So again, they have made it even more prison-like than it was before 2005. I mean, the treatment I did in Lionel Lakes and in Faribault was the same, the same model treatment. So it is more prison than, than you could possibly imagine. I mean, in every possible way, it's prison. So it is double jeopardy. Now, those variances, the law says, and you know, I, I encourage people to read it. It's very short. It's not complicated. Two, 245A04, subdivision 9. And it, and it simply states that to have a permanent variance, or excuse me, to if you're going to have a variance that, that changes the qualifications of staff, it cannot be permanent. So I wrote a letter to Ann Johnston. And she's the uh, executive director of MSOP. And I asked her about this, and she said the variances were approved indefinitely. Just blatantly said it. Indefinite, permanent are the same thing in my world. I mean, and they've been there since 2005. It's now 2022. They're still there. We still deal with these people that are not psychiatrists. And that's a big reason I can't get out of here. So 
I say that to say this. One of our goals is to expire that variance, and we push um, to have that done. We have not made a lot of progress with that because they just, you know, they just stonewall us. Uh, we do have some legislators who are starting to take this serious and starting to look at this situation. Um, ocean is something that develops over time. Let me get into that. It's so easy to go down a rabbit hole here, but it's important to point out what these variances are. It's kind of the crux of this whole thing, in my opinion. And there's a lot of theories as to how this is going to change. That's that I'm sold on this variance issue. They've changed this model. They openly admit that um, it has to be a medical model to be justified. Uh, they should really turn it back to a medical model, bring a bunch of psychiatrists in here and evaluate the whole population and start letting people go if they're safe to be in the community based on observable current presentation of a mental state, meaning if they aren't doing anything, I'm trying not to be vulgar here, what I'm saying is if they're sexually appropriate and you can see it, they can, they can leave. To have a program that insists that you regurgitate their ideology, it's called indoctrination. And it's mm -hmm. a violation of the Establishment Clause of the First Amendment. The government cannot establish an ideology, they, they say religion in the First Amendment, but I'm going to stretch a little and say ideology in general. If I make a psychological program and say you have to follow this psychology, and psychology is a religion, it comes out of Greek, it means the study of the soul, it's so true. I can argue that psychology is religious, and they enforce that, and they say we don't care if you're in control, we care if whether or not you agree with our psychology. And if you don't agree with our psychology, we're not letting you go. And what's really horrible about it is I know guys have been doing it for 27 years, and they still don't let him go. And they insist that the guy just can't figure it out. It's his own fault. I've watched 31 men die here in a five-year period. There's been 92 deaths since the beginning of this program. And I've seen, I've known 31 of those individuals. And over a third of them, or excuse me, over three-fourths of them, I do very well. And to try to claim that I'm just not getting it, and that's why I'm going to die here, is crazy. It, not only that, but at least half of those 14 that got out were not even in treatment. They got out because they convinced the judge that they were a child when they committed the crime, and they were entitled to release based on that, which they were. It had nothing to do with treatment. So we've got 80-something percent of these guys still believing that treatment is the way, and it's a red herring. They're just completely brainwashed, and they believe that it has something to do with why they're not getting out. Yeah. And 30 years later, they wake up and they say, what's going on? I must be doing something wrong. I must be doing something wrong. You're not doing anything wrong. There's something wrong with you. That's the problem. You're convinced there's something wrong with you. And that's most of this population right now. That's most of the world outside of prison, too, by the way. Yeah. Like, what you're seeing there, Imagine, imagine seeing the same people but out of prison, behaving the same way. Like, that's that's the world that we live in now, as a whole. Uh, and it's sad. I know it's different, and I'm not trying to discount where you're at and no, all I, that, but totally it's true. Yeah. It is. I, I agree with that. And, and sure, we all have problems, and nobody's perfect, you know. But this idea that... I don't know, you have to be perfect before you can be a, a free person. I mean, these laws are a great threat to the general population. I can't stress that enough. There's people walking in here who have never had a crime. 
I got one friend who, he, he, he was a, a sex offender, and he, he committed a crime in 1985, and he did three years in prison, still out of prison back in the 80s, and I think he got out in uh, 91, and uh, he got out, started a construction company, uh, raised three daughters, uh, got married, had a great life, I mean, tell you talks about, so I know a lot about the situation, did great for about 30 years, um, started having back problems. And started to grow marijuana because it, the, this particular strain that he was growing was helping his back. And he got caught growing marijuana and they committed him. And they, he's, he's sitting right next to me, actually, um, about 10 feet away. Tell him, we're, now tell him we're praying for him. I will. He's a political prisoner in my view. Uh, yeah. That's God's medicine. Daniel, are, are you coming? Are you coming back tomorrow with your mom? Yeah. Okay. Why don't you say your last words for the sake of time, and then we'll continue this tomorrow with your mom? Is that cool? Yeah, I, I really wanted to. Okay. Talk about then we'll then we'll keep going. That's fine. I'd love to. I think it's pretty crucial. Okay. Call then. Call back. Thank you for using GTL. It's a really strange thing having sex offenders on my broadcast. One wrongfully, wrongfully accused, the other, he admitted he was guilty. It's not triggering. I guess that means healing, but this is still just, I have so many questions. I, 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 I know people can be healed. I've been healed and mind you, I wasn't a sex offender, but I was a whore. I mean, like a whore, a real whore and a, 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 an extreme sex addict. And Kim sex addict. I have no, I just have compassion here. Hello, this is a prepaid debit call from Daniel. A client at the Moose Lake Security yeah, hit zero. Here we go. Calls are subject to monitoring and may be recorded. Your call will now be connected. Thank you for using GTL. All right, go hey, for it, man. Thanks for letting me call back. Um, go ahead. What were you saying? No, no, no. Go ahead. Go for it. Okay, so I, I would feel guilty if I didn't if we didn't cover some solutions. I know we keep I keep talking about that. Um, there's just so much backdrop. So 
feel like we've covered enough that people get the point of, of how horrible this is. Um, so, you know, I came into the place and started fighting back and, you know, verbally at least, telling these people what I really thought about this situation, doing a lot of reading about it. And in um, April, actually on April 29, 2019, uh, is when uh, uh, I met Russell Hatton. And Russell Hatton has been like a brother to me uh, in this in this endeavor. And we created Ocean, Overcoming Corruption and Power in All Nations. And by August 2019, we started a, a, the Ocean Newsletter. We started to write about the things we were witnessing and the things that we were reading and distributing that within the facility. We slowly created a support base, a support network outside of the facility. Uh, certain organizations stepped forward to help us distribute the newsletter. It started to become somewhat popular, and we were you know, just trying to get the information out there so people started to learn about what this really was. Um, in November 2019, a man by the name of Bill Meach had passed away. And he is an old man that lived here. He went to nursing to beg for a new oxygen tank. This was broken. Seven clients witnessed this situation where he was crying and sobbing for this new oxygen tank. He was denied. He was told to go back to his unit. He died that day. And this was reported to me because of the newsletter. You guys wanted me to report on this, so I did. That's when they really started to really attack Ocean and try to take our First Amendment rights, uh, which they've been almost successful on. Uh, but we started to do some other things to create more awareness. In January 2019, 10 of us got together and went on hunger strike for about 14 days. We didn't eat, and we did this to gain more awareness and to show the public that we really needed their help. So as a result of that, we were able to have some meetings with administration, long story short, they filled us full of hot air, they lied to us, we promised that we would go back to hunger striking and doing whatever else we could to get something done, to create a clear path home, that's all we wanted. And we kept our end of the bargain and they didn't. So, on July 4th, 2019, we went back to a hunger strike, only this time we had 40 men. Two individuals went to the hospital, another individual passed out, and we eventually called it off because people were starting to go to the hospital. They weren't budget. We had to find something else. So during that hunger strike period of between July 4th and July 18th, uh, our supporters brought a couple of vehicles up here and had a honk in, or they just honked for us outside the fence. And it sounds like a small thing, but I'll tell you what, the morale here went through the roof. You guys realize there was people who cared about them, that believed in them, that wanted to see them be successful in the community, and it made a world of difference. That small thing, just letting us know you care. Letting us know you know about us. The shadow prison has now got a light on. There's people in the public that see it. And we kind of started to really push public awareness. And we had about 36 news articles in a 12-month period where we just, every opportunity we got, we got into the paper or we got um, and a lot of these were smaller papers, some were Star Tribune, um, things like that. So we did that. Now, on August 13th, 2021, we gathered about 120 men, and we went outside, and we protested against the facility, 
and that's when the real retaliation started. Eventually, I ended up in Omega, which is a semi-segregation unit, and I was there for about four and a half months. Now, I say that to say we're serious. You know, we haven't been complacent. We have done everything we can think of to get awareness, to get people to really look at this. Taxpayers are paying for this hospital, quote-unquote, and getting nothing from it. It's been proven that civil commitment in Minnesota is less than 1% effective. There are other programs, and I mean less than 1% effective in protecting the community from sexual assault. There are other programs in the state that are 80-90% effective, and yet we're wasting $100 million a year on this. We spent about $1.5 billion on this taxpayers had on this program and got zero from it. But there are programs that are very effective. So I want to take funding from this program and put them into programs like Stop It Now and Central Minnesota Sexual Assault Center. And there's others out there, Mincasa. There's other programs out there that work in preventing sexual assault. And this is, and I mean, when I say prevention, I mean before it happens. There's other programs that serve the victim. That's awesome. That help with with mental health services for victims. But there's the there's the predator stage, and people don't want to look at that. There's men out there that struggle with unhealthy sexual thoughts, and and women. And we have to create a culture where those individuals feel safe to step up and say, "I got a problem. I need help." And there's programs out there that are willing to help, and they're very effective. Stop It Now is a great example. Um, we just donated to them recently. Uh, we want to start working with them more, but we have a, a project that we just started in January called the Protect Minnesota Project. You can go to our Facebook page and read about it. And it's, it's simply, uh, we have challenged administration, the top four administrators of MSOP, we challenged them to donate to effective programs. Uh, to, highest paid person here gets 140 something dollars an hour and he works 60 hour weeks and he's, a, he's the only psychiatrist they do have and that's more for like antidepressant type of drugs and stuff we should have a whole you know we should have scores and scores of psychiatrists we got one for you know bipolar medication things like that and he gets paid a lot so we've challenged them they have not taken our challenge uh they have not donated to stop it now or any other program um and we have, and we're hoping to kind of lead the way on that. We're showing that we're willing to do it. And it's just to bring awareness to the programs that do work. So that's one of our projects I wanted to mention. Another one is we're, we're trying to gather funds to create a national website where we can educate the public on civil commitment in the 22 jurisdictions where it is. Uh, civil commitment, similar to this one, is in 22 different jurisdictions, including the federal government and Washington, D.C., and there's really no central database. Uh, we have connection. I have communication with over 170 civilly committed individuals across the country, and at least a couple in every state or in every jurisdiction. And uh, I'm slowly gaining um, information from them that I want to post in, in you know, their own categories online in this, in this website. So we're currently working on that, but we need funding for that because we, we have a, web, a webmaster that's willing to, to build the website. He's already bought the domain page, and uh, we're just kind of waiting for the right amount of funding, and then we can start building that website and start educating the public on, on this. And that goes for family members, lawyers, judges, legislators, whoever wants to learn about this and really understand how it, how it operates. We need a, a central database for that.
Camolas. Uh, done here with my spiel on this because it's important. We have a couple upcoming events. If you want to get involved, please call me at the number I gave before, 218-351-1900, extension 106021. Leave a name and number, I'll call you back. We have regular conference calls. The group that helps us outside the fence, and we call them the MSOP Coalition, and they're basically a group of family and friends, a couple lawyers, a couple uh, doctors, uh, you know, some, some, you know, people that I think have some real impact impact uh, that want to help, um, you know, change the situation. They, to be honest, they want to end the program. They want to abolish civil commitment. And I, I do support that because there's other programs out there that work. So if you want to get involved with that, please call that number. And then we have, we have an event where um, the NMSOP coalition will have their own booth at Metro State University on April 8th. I believe that starts at 2 o'clock p.m. Uh, the convention is called Understanding and Responding to Mass Incarceration Convention. And they usually, last year they really focused on the prison system. This year they're really, uh, from what I'm told, they're mainly focusing on the shadow prison. It's really exciting that we've been able to kind of generate that kind of attention. And, you know, some of our people will be there. So I, I encourage people to show up to that. I don't know if that'll be live streamed or anything. I checked Facebook page. I don't have access to the internet, so I'm a little bit disconnected. And then April 23rd, online Zoom conference, uh, the Ocean Community Conference 2022. That's our uh, our conference where Eric Janice is a leading expert in sexual violence uh, laws in the state of Minnesota. He also is not a fan of MSOP, and he's going to talk about that. So this will be our second Ocean Conference, our first one last year, uh, July 18th, 2021, and we had about a, a, about 80 people from five different states, our supporters, showed up from about five different states. They, they went to the St. Paul Capitol to uh, teach civil commitment, you know, teach what this is about, and then they had a rally at, at the governor's mansion, and we organized that 100% from this facility. I mean, it was probably the most difficult thing I ever tried to do. <laughs> it cost about $4,000 to do and it was all funded by clients, and it was a hit. Uh, I wish there was more people there, but for the first one, uh, it was pretty cool. It was, it was pretty good. So I'm, I'm pretty proud of um, myself and the, and the guys. Jeremy Builder is, is our event coordinator, and he did probably you know 99% of the work. I just kind of stayed on his back and kept poking him and telling him, keep going, keep going, man, you're doing good. And uh, he pulled it off. So <laughs> kudos to Jeremy Builder. Uh, my buddy did that, so that's about it. I, you know, I really hope people start to look at this and take it serious because um, these laws already do and will continue to affect innocent people in the state of Minnesota, and they will take funding from real sexual violence prevention programs that actually serve our community and protect women and children and anyone else who's at risk for sexual violence. We need to take the money from this place and give it to the right people. And that's really all I got to say. Daniel, um, <clears throat> I, I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful for your mom for reaching out. And I'm excited to you know, be able to talk to all three of you to, or uh, you two together tomorrow. Um, and, um, you know, all I got to say, man, is 
that you guys are, all of you are in my prayers um, and and in the, anything that I can do, I mean, which of course, this is why part of why you're here. Um, and then again, tomorrow, you know, we are going to do everything that we can to put a spotlight, the biggest spotlight we can on what's happening there and just pray that God intervenes and does the right thing. Cause I, I know from a, I know for a fact that, you know, you can't, it is possible to not only rehabilitate your life, uh, people that have, whether they were truly, they do have a mental illness, it's a demon, whatever, however people want to look at mental illness. I do know that God heals. I've, I've, he's healed yeah. me. I, I've, and it doesn't mean that I'm like hundred percent healed and I'm some freaking choir boy. It doesn't mean that at all. But if you knew the monster I was to where I am now, that's all God. That's all God. And, and so I know it can be done. I know other people that have been convicted of sex crimes as minors that rehabilitated their life and now have gone on to live very amazing lives with children, families, careers. So it can be done. It's just people have to get the right care. And the whole point of putting people in a quote unquote hospital is to give them the care. The whole point of people going to prison should be to rehabilitate them because people do screw up. People do make mistakes. And, you know, I think about myself. I have about 25 different things I've done in my life. You have one that I remaining. Uh, stupid, stupid lady. Uh, um, but I, 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 I've done about 25 things that I should have been put in prison for in my life. And I wasn't. And so there's people walking around free right now, taking all that for granted. And uh, I don't take it for granted because I know how fortunate and how blessed I am. And thank God for the statute of limitations being over. But that said, Daniel, I'm praying for you. I really look forward to talking to you again tomorrow along with your mother. And I look forward to getting to know you more, man. I'm blessed that you're in my life. Um, and uh, I think you're a good dude. And God bless you, man. God bless you and your listeners, man. I appreciate this opportunity more than you know. Oh. Thank you. All right. Talk to you soon, buddy. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God because the voiceless deserve a voice. And when you're in a shadow prison, you deserve a voice. And you know what? I don't care if he was a he was a murderer. I believe that people can have their lives turn around. I know murderers. Some of the, the, the biggest superhero I know in the world. Well, <laughs> let's put it this way. I know some people that you would call superheroes, few, and they've done some hideous crimes in their life. But what they're doing now is God's work. I don't believe that monsters are born. I believe they're created. And um, it can happen through abuse, being drugged, drugs. Crap's demonic, man. I just, I can't walk through life. I can't walk through life ignoring issues like this, especially when, look, I didn't even know this was a thing until I get the call, the email from his mom. I don't, I don't know it's the thing. Now that I know, I can't unknow. And I, I can't help but have compassion. Look, 
I've been abused sexually, physically, verbally. I'm not discounting the effect and the toll that it takes. I was a monster. But I also have compassion because, look, he made a stupid decision. Stupid decision. But there's people walking free that did far worse than him. Far worse. Not even close in comparison. What's it, I, I, I don't know how to compare it, but I mean, thinking about some of my drugged out, you know, meth-fueled sexcapades, that I did. That should have been criminal. It should have been criminal. No one was underage, but I was a deranged psycho. Like, I should have been locked up and put in a mental ward. It's like, going on four-day meth binges and having sex with over 20 people. That's psychotic. That's evil. That's messed up. It's slutty. It's whorish. It's all of that. It's gross. It's disgusting. It's all of that, and I did it. I did it. I don't see how that makes me. I mean, sure, it doesn't make me better. Like, if I was going to compare the two, because to me, what I did was criminal. I didn't commit crimes other than, you know, I guess I don't know if actually doing drugs is illegal. But as far as, I mean, the sin that I was committing. I don't care what the government says. I care what God says. And I was sinning against my body, my temple, my heart, my soul, my spirit, my health, all of it. Everything that God created me for and everything that God gave me, I violated. That's criminal. I don't know what can be done. I'm kind of new at this stuff. But... I do pray that anyone out there that's listening or watching that if you know something that can be done, then let's, let's do something. Because look, I mean, not everybody is willing to be rehabilitated, but I do feel like people deserve a true chance to. And look, there's people that are locked up in prison still for, you know, cannabis and uh, convictions from years ago that now have legalized cannabis in their state. People getting caught with little dimes of cannabis. I'll go to war with anybody over cannabis because it's God's medicine. It's God's medicine. I mean, I know that man can, you know, corrupt it and pollute it and all that, but cannabis is a gift from God. And to think that people are locked up for life, for 20 years, 30 years, 10 years, even a year over a nug? Really? This justice system sucks. It's kind of like our government as a whole, really. I want, I'm ready for the kingdom government. I'm ready to be judged by God and God only. I mean, technically I am. But... I'm out of words. Um, I don't know what to say except for, you know, please pray. And um, I really appreciate you guys being here. This was, but guess what? Tomorrow, which whenever you're watching this, it's going to be the next episode. Uh, his mom and him are going to be back. So thank you for being here.
God bless you. And um, if you know, if you have any way to support or help anything, please do so. Thank you.